If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua, the sixth chapter. We're going to begin with verse one. And as you turn, let me just say welcome to our guests. We thank God for you worshiping with us this morning. I pray that the Lord really encourages you and strengthens you and teaches you something new about himself, that he will cause you to be on mission for him and to share the good news of why we love Jesus and why we do adore him with others. Joshua, the sixth chapter, a familiar chapter within the body of Christ, young and old. So for the next two weeks, this week and next week, we're going to be digging into chapter six. There's so many themes, so many things. uh, My heart just wants to flush out. So this week, we'll deal with the first half of Joshua. Next week, we'll wrap up. But Joshua, the sixth chapter, beginning with verse one. Got a pop quiz for you. This is the Bible, right? How many books in the Bible? How many in the Old? Oh, that was like, oh. How many in the Old Testament? 39. How many in the New? 27. All right, y'all make sure y'all get that. And part of the Old Testament, this book of history, the book of Joshua, this is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with his king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Following them, the armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the, ark, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned it to camp, so they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel, a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown 
As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'm going to place a tag on this text before us this morning. Tear down those walls. Tear down those walls. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do love you. And we do adore you. And we, we come now, Lord, acknowledging our complete and utter dependence upon you. Father, there's nowhere else we can look for help, for help only comes from you. But you are our strong tower. You are our refuge. You are our strength. Right now, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, empowered by your Holy Spirit, and we ask that you will send your anointing this way. Father, may your spirit come and break strongholds and break chains and break yokes. Father, may your spirit come and open up our eyes to this text and open up our ears to your word and prepare our hearts to receive this so that we will go forth and become doers of your word, not only hearers. Father, we need your help. It's been a long week, oh Lord, and the issues of life come heavy on our backs. But Father, you have declared and you have decreed that your grace is sufficient. So Father, we ask for your grace this morning. We ask that your grace would, would woo us and draw us to Jesus. Help us to see our great need for him above everything else. For apart from Jesus, we are still in our sin. So, Father, may you use me, this broken vessel. May you speak to us, Lord. Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Tear this wall down. A famous phrase stated by, at the time, President Ronald Reagan in 1987 situated in Germany before the Berlin Wall. Mr. Gorbachev, tear this wall down. Many have said that speech kind of lit a fire under the people of Germany to begin to push back against the oppression that was taking place. Now, in the context we have, many may not even know what the Berlin Wall was or is or any of that. But there was a time when the country of the nation of Germany was actually divided into East and West after World War II. And the city of Berlin was divided into East Berlin and West Berlin, and a single wall separated the East from the West. The West was the democratic uh, portion of Berlin, and people could move about freely, coming and going. The East was uh, ruled by communism, and uh, the people on that side lived an oppressed life. And tear this wall down. That statement was uh, directed toward this wall, which had become a symbol of oppression, a symbol of uh, slavery, a, a symbol of a lack of freedom at the time. Soon after, that wall did come down. Many stood up against that wall and what it meant and how it kept them locked in to a situation, to a circumstance that was not favorable for them. Beloved, the Berlin Wall may have come down, but when we look at our lives, it seems like new walls are being built every day. In a fallen world, we face so many challenges, yet I believe the greatest challenge we we face comes not from an external wall being built, but internal ones we put up ourselves. And just as the the communist government wanted to preserve their way of life, 
our sinful desires living within our heart, they want to preserve their way of life. The result is the building of walls around ideologies, philosophies, moral beliefs, perverted worldviews, with uh, with the with these blockages being uh, these blockades being erected in our hearts, we're kept from receiving the rest that God has made available through Jesus Christ. This is the very definition of a stronghold, something that is that that is fortified, something that is uh, walled off in order to preserve what's on the inside. That invaders can't come in. That is the nature of a stronghold, and sin uh, functions the same way. Sin will wall itself around in order that it cannot be rooted up, it cannot be taken away, and it will stay there, uh, uh, creating its own kingdom. You think if you just had a few more dollars, things will be better. But the sinful stronghold that money has in your heart will cause you to always want more. You think if you only had the latest iPhone, you would be happy. But the sinful stronghold that materialism has on your heart causes you to be dissatisfied after only two weeks. You think that if you could only find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, then all of your loneliness would, would fade away. See, but the sinful stronghold of insecurity in your heart will always cause you to be wanting and lonely and needy. You see, why you do what you do or why you believe what you believe is profoundly affected by the sinful strongholds in our lives. See, the the reason why you find yourself so angry, so frustrated, so irritable, critical, controlling, devastated, unforgiving, selfish, disrespectful, and jealous is because there is a walled stronghold of sin in your heart. While, while you're singing, while, while, while we come and we gather and we're singing songs like Break Every Chain, you ignore the shackles on your feet right now. This is why you have no peace. This is why you have no rest. You are looking in all the wrong places for rest. And all the while, God is standing right before you saying, believe me, trust me, for by faith I can tear down those walls. He's done it before. he do it again. Because God has the power to break down sinful strongholds, you can receive rest for your soul through faith in Jesus Christ. See, because God is in the business of breaking down barriers. That's what he does. When God begins to circle your situation, it's just a matter of time before the walls come down. Will you let them is the question. This morning before us, we see how Israel is dependent upon God to encircle their situation in order that they may get to the other side to receive rest. In the text this morning, what we see is the nation of Israel, by faith, they have come out of the wilderness, this long journey, they have crossed the Jordan, they have made it to the other side, and now they're going out for battle. Everything has been leading to this point. The battle is here, right now. And by faith, They're going forward, not in their own strength, but they're going forward with the one who fights their battles for them, Yahweh. See, here in the text, you have this city, Jericho, this this first city that they're preparing to war against. This is a strategic city. This This is not random. God has a strategy. He knows what he's doing. 
Because victory here at Jericho would open up the entire path for their conquest. In that region, Jericho was situated kind of in the middle of the land. So the plan was if, if they were able to take the land in Jericho, they would make a wedge in between all of the other nations. They wouldn't be able to come together to fight against them. They would come in between them and begin picking them off one by one. God has a strategy against strongholds. Jericho, this city, stood between Israel, their inheritance, and the rest that they so looked forward to. The people were looking forward to this rest. They had been wandering 40 years. They wanted rest. They had been in captivity. They wanted rest. They they knew that God was able to deliver them and that his presence would give them rest. This land signified and represented rest. It's tired. Weary. Wore out. They wanted to be in the presence of God because they know where God is, there is rest. Can I just tell you where, where, places where God is not, it's full of chaos, full of drama, full of uh, anger and arguing and brokenness. But where God is, there's a peace and there is rest. This land would be the the new Eden where God would dwell with his people once again. So when we look at the text, beginning with verse 1, we see that though rest is on the other side, rest will be resisted. Simply in verse 1, now Jericho was shut up inside and outside. Because the people of Israel, because of the people of Israel, none went out and none came in. Looking back at Joshua, the second chapter, when we were looking at Rahab, as soon as the spies had left, there was a call to seal up the city, shut the gates. Israel had arrived. Now, though the spies had left, when we look at this city, this 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 strongly fortified city that has shut its walls, they're not letting anyone in and nothing out. Well, what does that mean? Well, looking at Jericho, that meant that the word of God would not get in. And people were kept in captivity and they couldn't get out to hear the word of God. Israel was on the outside of the city. They were the people of God. They had the message of hope. They had the message of deliverance. But anyone inside of Jericho, anyone inside this stronghold could not come out to hear this word of deliverance. They were in bondage themselves. This was a heavily fortified city. Some scholars suggest that the city had a double ring of walls. The walls on the on the outer ring were were six feet thick. The inner walls were 12 feet thick. This is not a fence. You can't just run and just hop it. Military men on their post waiting for the enemy to attack. It, It is perfectly situated in an area that in order to take this city, you would have to march uphill. This is a perfectly located military stronghold. You cannot just walk up to these doors and take over. So what what does that even mean? That Jericho was closed off from God completely, and the way Israel had to uh, battle against them would not be in human means. Jericho was in bondage. This fortified city in strategic military position set in a place that before conquest could take place, you had to go through them. If there is any definition of a stronghold, Jericho was it. Stronghold, we're, we're using this word stronghold. Think about it this way. 
Psalm 18 and 2 talks about God in this way. Listen, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my, my God, my, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So when, so when we look at Jericho and, 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 de, and we define it as a stronghold, it was the place that the Canaanites would run to take refuge to, for safety. But their type of safety, was, it was full of wickedness. It was full of sin. It was full of idol worship. So when we think about a stronghold, you have to, you have to think about a, 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 a sinful position, a sinful proclivity that is uh, not only has it taken root in my heart, in my life, but it is, it is walled around. A fortress has been constructed in order that the city will not be taken. That's our hearts. This is what we're up against in our hearts. We desire rest, yet we have these walled, these fortified strongholds of, of lust and idolatry and pride in our hearts, and we don't want to give them up. We face genuine opposition that is greater than we could ever imagine. I think that's the point of the text, just how great the opposition really was. We hear, uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, and we, you know, we think it's, 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 it's child's play. This was an impossible attack. And when we begin to war with those strongholds that's in our heart, that's, that's an impossible attack. We can't deal with our issues. We, we always talk about, well, let me get myself together first. You can't get yourself together first because your issues are hiding behind a fortified city and you can't even get in to begin to deal with your issues. What they say, yo, issues got issues. And you can't just walk in. Let's do a quick Bible study. Because we're, we're, we're dealing in the area of spiritual warfare. And we think it's a game. Let's begin with Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Turn with, if you have your Bibles, turn with me in your Bibles. Beginning with verse 10. The Apostle Paul tells us, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. His might, not ours. It says, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. My, my beef is not with you. My beef is not with my boss, my, my, my wife. My, my beef is not with flesh and blood, but my beef, my issue is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, then verse 14 begins, stand therefore. Paul is, is letting us know that these battles that we find ourselves in, it, it's not against people. We are in a, a serious spiritual warfare. Satan is our opposition. We are not waging, we are not battling uh, uh, forces that can be taken out with a nine millimeter. We, we, are, we are battling something that is unique, that is completely off the charts. Turn with me to John, the, the 10th chapter. John, the 10th chapter. Verse 10, Jesus speaking about the one who comes after his sheep. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it 
abundantly. Turn with me to 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. First Peter, the fifth chapter, looking at verse 8, the Apostle Peter now says, be sober-minded, be watchful, why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Why are we turning all these pages? We're, we're turning because we need to see with our own eyes that Satan is real. He is not a metaphor for evil. He is not a metaphor for bad things. Satan is a person who hates your guts, and anyone who names that name of Jesus, he is coming against. He is coming for you. Now, now some of us, when we hear that, we, we get afraid, and, and when we get afraid, we do, well, I don't, I don't want to think about it. But if you want to think about it or not, just like when that bill comes to your door, you, you can leave it on the counter as long as you want, but it still has to get paid. And see, when we're thinking about spiritual warfare, you think Satan is a joke, he's not real, he has a horn and a tail, but he's coming after you. Do you even have room in your theology for Satan? Have you, have you ever really considered that Satan could be up to something to stop you, to hurt you, to destroy you? This is the reality. When we look at Jericho, what we see is a wicked city who has who is, uh, set themselves completely against God and his people. That's a stronghold. Turn with me to James, the fourth chapter. James, the fourth chapter, verse four. Satan is opposing us. Who else is opposing us? James, the fourth chapter, verse four, he says, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He's saying that there is a way, uh, the, the world system functions, that everyone who is just kind of going with the flow of life, are, they're, they're setting themselves up to be in opposition to God and his purposes. The Canaanites, the city of Jericho, had set themselves up in opposition to what God wanted to do with his people. When we just take the world and we have fun in the world and we, we think like the world, talk like the world, watch what the world watches, what, what the text is saying, we are setting ourselves up in opposition to what God wants to do. Satan, the world, turn with me to 1 John. First John, the second chapter. Let's start with verse 15. It says, do not love the world, this concept, this world system, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. What he's saying is uh, not only there's an outside enemy, Satan, an outside enemy in the world, but our very own flesh is trying, to, is trying to oppose God himself. Whether it be our appetites, our affection, or our ambitions, we have a way of setting up our own city, our own kingdom, and then we close it off, and we want to rule like little mini kings over our cities. 
We want to dictate. We want to control. We want to uh, direct how the, the traffic flows. We want to uh, uh, regulate taxes in our little city. We want complete sovereignty over our little lives. And God is saying that is in opposition to what I want to do. In order to receive their rest, Israel had to destroy this stronghold. Receiving rest from strongholds of your life comes with great opposition. Understand, it's frustrating because you're in a battle. You are in a fight. But not only is rest uh, resisted, but Rest is the result of obedience. In verses 2 through 20, we see God giving the command to Joshua. You tell the people, get the priests and get the horns and uh, make sure the armed men are ready. And you prepare them to, to, to march around the city. The first six days, I just want you to march around once. You march around once. The Ark of the Covenant is in the middle, it's in the, it's in the midst. The trumpets will be blaring, and then you come back to camp. But on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times. And at the end of that, I don't, I don't want you to throw a spear. I don't want you to shoot an arrow. I don't want you to pick up a rock. I just want you to shout. God gives that command to Joshua. And what does Joshua do? He takes the command to the people. He obeys immediately. He tells the people, we're going to get the priests together. We're going to get the Ark of the Covenant together. We're going to get our trumpets. We're going to get our forward guard, our rear guard. The Ark of the Lord is going to be in the middle, and we're going to march around the city six times, once each day. And on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. We're not going to throw a javelin. We're not going to shoot an arrow. We're not going to pick up a rock. We're just going to shout. Then the text shows that, see, when the text goes over something redundant. We read our Bibles like, didn't he just say that? Oh, it's the third time. They didn't have, like, capital uh, case to to signify that. Like, this is really important. So they repeated themselves. So what God is trying to show us is what they're doing is really important. You need to be paying attention. And when the people hear this, they get up and they begin to go into battle just as they were told. This is obedience. This is obedience. For them, this would mean that uh, this battle would be won without human means. It's not about them. It's not about their skills. It's not about their size. It's not about their wisdom. It's not about who they know. It's, It's always about God and what he wants to do for them. But then also we see that they have to do this for an entire week. This, this, this shows them that their faith needed to be fresh each and every day. They couldn't rely upon day one faith on day four. They couldn't look back to day two and on day six count on that. That each and every day they had to get up by faith believing that God is about to do something here. God is about to do something, and I am willing to follow. What does this mean for us? This shows us that obedience to God would not always make sense. This military strategy is not known anywhere in the history of man. Just march around the city and shout. That is something that that has never been seen before, but here, what we, what we have to understand, what we have to know is that when we are going out into battle, uh, there's sometimes that what God is calling you to do won't make sense. It, it won't be logical. It, it won't be according to how you've done it before. It, it, in your mind, you have the whole thing played out, and God is saying, that's not obedience. That's your plan. My plan says do this. We find ourselves saying, what do you want me to do, God? When God calls us to love those who spite us and hate us. When God calls us to serve and to be loving and compassionate to a world that hates us. uh, We 
we, we can look back at the cross and say, now, why would God send a Savior to be crucified? See, the plan doesn't make sense to us, but God knows what he's doing. We just obey. But then also, obedience to God completes this course. Seven days straight. Seven days straight. They follow God's plan. Sometimes God has called us to do something, to know something, to walk in a certain way. It's kind of like a New Year's resolution. We're good for that first month. After that, it just kind of go out the window. But you know what? Halfway obedience is not obedience. God doesn't want part of your life. He wants all of your life. God doesn't want some of your desires. He wants all of your desires. God is calling you to himself completely, but yet we always find ways to say, but, if, and, uh, stop, not all the way, but God wants complete devotion. Said it before in our home, we have a, have a saying when it comes to obedience is, Obey all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. Obey all the way. Don't just clean half the room. Don't just sweep half the floor. Don't, don't just do half the dishes. It's, it's, it's a complete submission to what you've been called to do. What, what, is, what is God calling you to do today? Are you going all the way or are you going halfway? Are you going, are, are you going to adjust far enough to where it makes sense to you? God is calling us to so much more and he's showing us here through Jericho. Receiving rest from strongholds of your life comes through obedience. But then also, rest is the result of worship. As they're planning to take siege of Jericho, God doesn't say, make sure your military men have the latest weaponry. He says, go get the priests. Go get the people who are charged with ushering in worship for my people. Go get the very ones that will offer sacrifices on your behalf in order that we may have a right relationship. He says, go get the priests and have the priests go get the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the very presence, the very semblance of who God is and he's dwelling with the people. Go get the Ark of the Covenant. Then you go get the people. Well, I, I believe what God is doing, he is instituting a, a, a ceremonial type uh, act here as they are marching around. They have the priests, they have the ark, they have the forward guard, they have the rear guard. In the text we see uh, the number seven is used uh, numerous times in the text. Uh, in, in, in God's providence, the number seven signifies completion. It signifies that seventh day will signify rest. He's telling them that Whatever they come in contact with in Jericho should be devoted to destruction, offered as a sacrifice. This is the first city that they're dealing with. This this is like a first fruits offering. They're, They're in the midst of walking for six days. They're told to be silent, perhaps a time of meditation, reflection, and expectation of what God is doing. And then on the seventh day, he tells them to shout, this, this victorious shout in, in ancient Near Eastern texts, that, that shout wouldn't, wouldn't be just like I'm shouting out something. It's a, it's a cry of victory. It's like uh, we are winning. We will win. We, we are victorious. Not, not I'm groaning, I'm hurting, I'm tired, but, but we win this shout. What, what is all that I believe? I believe that when we look at what's going on, God has broke out into a worship service. They having church marching around Jericho. They're worshiping God. They're, they're giving themselves and they're, they're part of what's going on. 
What does that mean for us? I believe this means that worship keeps you covered in battle. Worship keeps you covered. Why? We, we see the priest going in the ark of the Lord and this, this worship service taking place, but as they are going out, God has given them a front guard and a rear guard. He's saying that as you go out and worship, I'm going to keep you covered on both sides. And what God wants to do with us, he says, when you worship, you are covering yourself for battle. I, I don't know about you, but, but sometimes when it gets difficult, I just, I just have to just, just sing a song to the Lord. Have you ever found yourself just in the midst? And you, you might go back to your childhood, and you, you don't know church songs, but all you remember is, Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. Your worship covers you in the battle. Situations, circumstances, as they come up, and well up over the walls of life, God is saying the way that you, you fight back the enemy, you just worship. Just worship. Just, just set your attention on me and respond accordingly. See, I, I can't worship if I'm thinking about myself. The way that worship, I don't know about you, but the way that worship happens is I begin to think about God and all the great and marvelous things that he has done. And when I begin to ponder and meditate with my mouth shut, and I just begin to think about how he's delivered me time and time again, it it wells up in my soul a a word that I just got to shout. I just got to worship. I got to put my hand up and say, glory be to God, the highest, the most high. And that's how worship works. And as the issues of life rage and you're worshiping, it, 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 it provides a covering. Like a shit like, like Satan, you thought you had me. You thought you were going to have me down. But actually, my spirits are picked up. My spirits are lifted up because the word says no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And all I need to do is trust in you and worship. Worship. Taking my eyes off myself and placing my eyes on Jesus. Worship. Worship covers me, but also it not only covers me, but worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon. When Satan is throwing those fiery darts, when, when Satan has those schemes and, those, and, and his plans and he's throwing them at you, God, if you, God is saying right here, if you would just worship, I would take care of the battle for you. If, if you would praise God on credit, because you know what he's about to do. He hasn't done it yet. He it hasn't come this way yet. But I know what he could do, and I know what he's about to do. And I'm going to worship on credit. I'm going to say, Satan, you are a liar, because God is victorious. It's already in the book. I've read the end. It says we win. I don't have to be worried. I don't have to be concerned. My worship will fight back. My worship is a weapon. But we come in church and we don't even open up our mouths. We not even let loose the weapon that God has given us to fight back against what Satan is doing in our lives. So maybe if we really understood how to fight, I can't hit the devil, but I can say, yes, Jesus loves me. Yeah, yes, he lied. I don't care what you said, Satan. I, you might want me to think nobody loves me. You might want me to, uh, to act like no one loves me. But yes, Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me, Satan, you are a liar. I'm not going to believe this, and I'm going to fight back. My worship is my weapon. Start you, Forrest, let me tell you, Start using your weapon. You can come here every Sunday if you want to, 
and keep your mouth closed, that's what Satan wants because he knows you have a weapon. Receiving rest from the strongholds of your life comes through worship. The last thing I see in this text is the fact that we all have Jerichos to fight. If I'm a child of God, following God's lead through the land, he has taken me to rest, to be in his presence, to enjoy him eternally. That, that's rest. To be in God's presence eternally. I don't have to worry about the time. I don't have to worry about the, this, that, that moment ending. R- true rest is being in the presence of God for an eternity. I don't have to worry about bills. I, I don't have to worry about LGND. I don't, I don't have to worry about a car note. I don't have to worry about high blood pressure. I don't have to worry about cancer. I don't have to worry about the flu or uh, a cold. I don't, I don't have to worry about making sure that the, the car has gas. I don't have to worry about people breaking in my home. I don't, I don't have to worry about the foolishness. Rest comes in the presence of God. And when I am going through this life's journey, I need to understand that we all have Jerichos that we need to fight. There's some type of entrenched sin in our lives that is hindering us from receiving the rest that God has promised for. He, he says it's here. When you look back, verse, verse 2, he's, and the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have. He, he didn't say I, I, uh, it could possibly come. He didn't say that it could maybe come. I, I have given you Jericho. What is he saying? I have given you the pathway to rest. So when I am fighting life's battles, I, I know that I'm going to come up to some opposition. I know that obedience will move me forward. I know my worship is my weapon, but I, but I also know I'm going to have to fight these time and time again. Well, what do we do? Second Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Verses 4 and 5. The Apostle Paul says this. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. To destroy what? Strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive, what? To obey Christ. As I am battling uh, this world and the opposition that comes up against me, uh, Paul is reminding me that I I do not fight with my hands, I do not fight with my feet, but I, I, I fight with the divine power that God has given me. Uh, and, and, and every foolish thought, every lofty opinion that raises itself up against the knowledge of God, he says, I'm going to take that thought captive. I'm going to pull it down. I'm going to take it out of the way in order to trust in him. Spiritual strongholds can only be fought with spiritual means. But what are we fighting? We're fighting ideologies, philosophies. The focus of life is on me. Make as much money as possible. Live comfortably. Make a name for yourself. Do whatever makes you happy. Look like a model in a magazine and turn your physical appearance into an idol. Offer acts of service when you feel like it. Stay married as long as your spouse meets your needs. Uh, Come across as powerful, influential, and interesting as possible. Stay up to date with all the latest 
fashions so you can make a quick purchase. Uh, YOLO, you only live once. These are uh, ideologies that create strongholds in our hearts. And, and we just think that we, 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 we having a bad season of our life, but really what's happening, because of that sinful stronghold that you're holding on to, God won't give you rest. Strongholds like anger, bitterness, insecurity, pride, sexual sin, homosexuality, drug addiction, alcoholism, pornography. These are strongholds that once they get in our heart, they build a wall because they don't want their kingdom to fall. Inanimate objects. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, iPhones, Androids. These are inanimate idols that we must have them, and when we don't have them, we get angry with those who take them away from us. That's how we know we have an idol. The way you know you have an idol in your heart, what makes you mad? What makes you mad? Because what's happening is the thing that you idolize, you can't get at the moment, so you lash out at the person who is keeping you from it. Do you come in a house angry that the house ain't clean? Your idol is a clean house. Are you angry because you just got another bill? Your idol is, I want to keep money in my bank account. Are you angry because they didn't buy you a gift for Valentine's Day? Uh, uh, your idol uh, is, is gifts and possessions. But what God wants to do, see, I'm, I'm stepping on everybody's toes and my own. God wants to get us to a part where we're not comfortable living with these idols in our lives. As long as we're okay uh, having these strongholds in our lives, we will never receive the rest that Jesus has already promised for us. We, we, we always frustrated, always irritable, always on the move. We got all this drama, and God said, let go of that stronghold. Let me defeat it, and you will have some rest. You'll be able to get a whole eight hours of sleep. You won't be tossing and turning. You won't be having a nervous tick like you've been drinking coffee all day. God says, I will give you rest. Nobody else. But we got to allow God to crush these strongholds that's in our lives. The way that he does that is when we obey his word. You know, a lot of the mess that we're in, I'm sorry that we're in it, but we're in it because we just haven't been obedient. We, this book sits on our shelf. We don't, we don't even know if we're doing right or wrong because we don't know if it's right or wrong because we haven't read the book. God just wants us to obey. Most of the issues that we find ourselves in, uh, we got Satan to deal with. We got the world to deal with. But the biggest troublemaker is we got ourselves to deal with. If we would just be obedient to what God has commanded, to what he has already revealed, I'm not talking about the tough text. I'm talking about the easy text. Like, do not be unequally yoked. I mean, just simple stuff. Like, don't do it. He don't love Jesus. He's not going to love you. Like, don't do it. And all that drama you just invited into your life because you're going to do it your way. God says just obey. That's how those kingdoms come crashing down. But then we also worship. The problem is the object of our worship, we worship ourselves, so we satisfy ourselves. Any type of thing that gives us pleasure, we want it right now. And God says, no, forsake yourself and trust me. So if our worship is vertical and not horizontal, God will break those strongholds in our lives. Are you tired of failing? Are you tired of falling? I think, this is, I think the reason why we're so quiet, not just now, I'm talking about period. The reason why we're so quiet is because we're walking around with a sense of guilt and shame. 
Because we have this idol in our heart that we're trying to keep hidden from everyone else. And if someone gets too close to us, they're going to figure us out. So we put these walls up. We, I, I don't want to come to community group. I don't want accountability. I, don't, I really don't want to get to know you besides high and bound Sunday. Why? Because that guilt and that shame, uh, we, we, we don't want that to be exposed. But God, see, but is that restful? How's that been working for you? But what God said, there's nothing like being completely exposed and able to live with freedom. The monkey is off your back. I, I, you are able to live in a transparent way, not because you've dealt with the sin, but because you recognize that Jesus dealt with your sin on the cross. His blood covers that. His blood purifies that. His blood, uh, he crucifies that. His blood takes away your sin and gives you his righteousness. Are you tired of hiding? Well, if you're tired, God tells us, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Not the yoke of the world. Not the yoke of your friends. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. See, what he's doing is in the agricultural arena, when they would yoke up animals together, they won't want to have usually one strong and experienced ox, and they would bring a younger inexperienced ox and yoke it up with the experienced ox so that as the, the farmer uh, speaks commands to the experienced ox, the experienced ox would train the inexperienced ox, and after a while of just following the footsteps of this experienced ox, the, the inexperienced ox will begin to learn how to decipher its master's call it won't be as distracted. It, it won't go, go left when he's calling go right. So what, what Jesus is saying is, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, not, not them. Learn from me. Why? I'm not going to bust you over the head when you get it wrong. I'm not going to call you out and put you on blast. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Again, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus didn't come to make your load heavy. He came to give you rest. The text is telling you today, come to Jesus, because only through Jesus will you find rest. Jesus is the ultimate Yoke breaker. Well, we look to Jesus to break our strongholds because he's already defeated the power of sin during his life. Jesus lived that sinless life in perfect obedience to the Father. See, even so much that there was a time where Jesus didn't uh, uh, say a mumbling word. He, he kept his mouth shut. But, but Jesus shouted when it was time to shout. Jesus saved his shout for when he had victory, and when he says, it is finished, that was a shout. The text tells us in Matthew that it was a shout. It wasn't that he didn't murmur. He says, it is finished. I, I commend my spirit to you, Father. That was a shout. Why did he shout? Because we said that when you shout, that was a symbol of being victorious. So when Jesus is shouting, that is him having victory. So when you are in Christ Jesus and he done shouted for you already, that means you get his shout on credit. That means that I have victory. But there's one last shout. 1 Thessalonians 6 says that when Christ comes back, it says it's like a shout of an archangel. And when Jesus comes back, he's coming back with a shout. Because the shout when he comes back is a shout of victory. And what he's saying is, I have won. I have overcome. I have come to uh, set up my kingdom. And those who are mine will come with me. And we will rule. And we will reign in an eternal peace and eternal rest. Receiving rest from strongholds of your life comes from Jesus. How do you turn to Jesus? You simply say, I blew it. Father, I, I have been living life for myself. I've been making up my own rules. 
I've I've been coming up with my own scheme. Father, I'm sorry for living for myself. Would you please forgive me? And would you, I believe who you said you were. You said you were the Messiah, the one sent to save me from my sins. I believe that you paid for my sins. I believe you died upon the cross and that you rose again the third day for me because I'm a sinner and you took my sins with you and you give me your righteousness. I believe in you, Jesus, save me. That's how you come to Jesus. You don't have to do laps and you don't have to do flips. He says, just come to me. That means you have to lift up your arms and say, here I am. Some of us, we got to empty our hands in order that we can receive Jesus. Come to Jesus, but he will give you rest. Because God has the power to break down sinful strongholds. You can receive rest for your soul through faith in Jesus Christ. Let us pray.